Edit out the part where I totally miss what you said, Seth. <laughs> Hey Rockers, welcome back to Extra Credit, the Rocky Podcast. I'm your co-host, Seth Hinkley, sitting here with the Dave Murray to my Nico McBrain, the Dean of Rock U, Matt Black. Your references are just getting like more and more obscure. I have no idea who you're talking about, but I guess I'll find out. You'll find out. All right. You'll find out here in a while. How you doing, I will Seth? try I will try to signpost you what gotcha. that reference is. Gotcha. How you doing, H Dog? I'm sorry, do- that's I'm, from a previous episode. I'm doing great, M Cat. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I like it. I'm going with that. That's my new nickname. All right. Sweet. Well, what are you wearing today, Matt? Today I am wearing my Pete Townsend Eddie Vedder Celebrating the Who t-shirt. Okay. I can't tell you why. You can't? Just Not because yet. it was the, You'll find out really soon. Was it the clean one in the drawer? No, 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 no. Uh, it has significance to our top five list today. Okay. Well, I'm what, are you, what are you wearing? I'm wearing my U2 War t-shirt, and you'll see why here in a few minutes. I have no doubt about it. All right, man. So what's our big topic today? We decided to take on songs based on real events. That's right. I'm looking forward to this one. Okay. A. Huge criteria today. Huge criteria? What were you going to say? What was the A? A. Let's do over-under since you have huge criteria. Uh, I'm going to guess one. You're going to set the over-under at one? Set the over at one. I'll take the under. And you're taking the under? Yeah. I think I'm going to take the under too because okay. I don't think you're going to have any of the songs I've got I on think my you, list. I bet you're going to have – This actually, I should have. I should take and push. You might have one that I've got. Okay. We'll see. All right. Criteria. I'm going to let you go since you had a a lot. You're the lawyer here, but I'm always the one that comes with these criteria. With the crazy uh, criteria. Yeah, I'll tell you. Okay. So first of all, we were talking about real events. So my criteria were first, I did not choose a song if it was a fictionalized account, even if it was a real event. Okay. In other words, like a song like um, Long a Time Ago, I used the band played Waltzing Matilda, right. which is about a soldier in Gallipoli in right. World War One. but it wasn't based on a real soldier. It was a, I guess that could have worked. It was a real event, but I was looking for real thing, like okay, yeah. reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, nothing that was general. So, for okay. example, Fortunate Son by Creedence Clearwater Revival is right, a Vietnam yeah. protest song. But it's a but protest it's, song. It's not about it's a about real It's about the Vietnam event. War. It's not about a specific event or a real person. Right. So, And also, I wanted it to be newsworthy events, not personal events. Okay. Although there are some great songs based on real personal events, but uh, yeah, I was looking yeah, for, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was okay if it was metaphorical or vague or if the song played fast and loose with the facts, but the event had to be real, right. newsworthy, and specific. And I based my top five on the quality of the song rather than on the significance of the event. Right. There we okay. go. Those are mine. Do you have any? So, or different ones? Mostly the same. Mm-hmm. Mine were it had to be a song about a historical event. I didn't want to use a song that I had put on another list because I just had a few. Oh, that I, I always was like. I always use that excuse uh, to not reuse songs. <laughs> yeah, to not reuse songs. I mean, that kind of takes away from the goal of the podcast to broaden people's knowledge. And it about gives, rock it gives music. me an excuse to share more songs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Same thing, yeah. 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 And it couldn't be an amalgamation of events in the song. Okay, interesting. So, like, we didn't start the fire, you know. That that's, may come back. That's just a multiple group of... It's not a specific s- event, it's a whole bunch it's of... It's a whole bunch of events, uh, yeah. yeah. Or uh, it's the end of the world as we know it, which is kind of a vague reference to a bunch of historical events. Right. Obviously, it had to be a song that I really liked, and I you know, ranked them because of that. Yeah. And I wasn't going to use two songs by the same artist because I could have got no. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, I couldn't get. I didn't want to get locked into having like. Oh, yeah, I got yeah, three yeah, songs yeah. by this artist well, and two by that one. The artist I'm thinking you're thinking of has three great songs based on real events. So yeah, yeah I yeah. bet I can guess those. 
Okay. I'm curious which one you chose, though. So who's going first? Well, before we do, I was going to okay. say there's there's one. I see one gap between your criteria and mine, which is you mentioned historical events. I said newsworthy events. So basically, my criteria were if it was it could have been in a local newspaper, it was good enough. Yeah, well, that, I would okay. say, I, Fair okay, right. historical meaning it's an event that actually happened. That actually happened. Okay, yeah. good. Just making sure we wouldn't have a disconnect. Mine, it's mine, okay if we did. Mine can have like vague references to it, but if right. it was written about a certain event, that's then, where that's where I am too. Yeah. Okay. Right. I don't know. You want to go first? Yeah, I'll okay. go first. Okay. And I guarantee you, this one's not on your if list. You guarantee it? I'm sure you're right. Guyana punch. By the Judies off Washerama from 1981. Because this is that local Texas band, right? This is yeah, the okay. band from yeah. Pearland, no, Texas that nobody that. <laughs> knows about. And my God, you know, going through these songs, I just got to say this. A lot of these songs that are written about events are written about depressing events. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, most, I tried to find them. one that was written about a happy mm-hmm. event, and I, I didn't none. have Zero. any on the list that came up. So. Zero of my five. Yeah. yeah. So this song is about the massacre at Jamestown in Guyana that was perpetuated by Jim Jones, who was a cult leader of this cult called the People's Temple. And while the subject of the song is dark, the tune is really upbeat and danceable. (laughs) It starts with just bass and vocals, and it's light and easy drums and some jungle bird sound effects. And then it breaks into this upbeat chorus with David Bean's childish vocal uh uh-ohs and a more upbeat second and third verse. Now, like we said, the Judys are a band from Pearland, Texas, who had a bunch of very short, punchy songs. And oddly enough, more than a few of these were about historical events. I'm working in all of my honorable mentions, at least for this band (laughs) in this segment. So they had Vacation in Tehran, which was about the Iran hostage crisis. How's Gary, which was about the execution of convicted murderer Gary Gilmore. Also the subject of Bring on the Night by the Police. Right. Yeah. And Radiation Squirm, which was about the Three Mile Island nuclear incident. So this, like like you've brought up before, this band was never popular enough to catch on outside of the Houston area, and they never got a major record deal. They used to have a website where you could buy their, their CDs online, but sadly, WastedTalentRecords.com <laughs> is no longer a working website. That was their own label. <laughs> that, that was their own label that they came up with. So that's that's, that's my number five, Guyana Punch by the Judies. Wow. What's your number five? Well, my number five is uh, going to surprise you a little bit because I am not known for being a Pearl Jam fan. Right. And I'm not, partially because I don't really, I don't hate them. I just don't, don't love them. Partially because I don't really like Eddie Vedder's voice. Okay. It, it kind of bugs me. But it's perfect for this song, and the song is Jeremy. Right. And that's why I'm wearing the shirt. We're going back to Texas for this one. Yes. Because the song is based on an article Eddie read about... Jeremy Wade, I don't know if it's Dell or Delhi, in 1992. And before I continue, I just want to say, yeah, this is going to be kind of a downer episode because all my five yeah, are yeah. really sad events. But anyway, Mine too. Jeremy was a 15-year-old who shot himself in front of his English class right. in Richardson, Texas. And uh, Eddie Vedder said in an interview, the song came from a small paragraph in a paper, which means you kill yourself and you make a big old sacrifice and try to get your revenge. But all you're going to end up with is a paragraph in a newspaper. 64 degrees and cloudy in a suburban neighborhood. That's the beginning of the video, and that's the same thing at the end. It does nothing. Nothing changes. Right. The world goes on, and you're gone. The best revenge is to live on and prove yourself. Be stronger than those people, and then you can come back. It's interesting, though, because Eddie Vedder also took from his own experience another real event, maybe newsworthy, maybe not, probably, in a, in a, if it's a local news, uh, where a, a schoolmate who he'd actually fought with at times, you know, kind of yeah. a, who shot up an empty classroom. Nobody was injured. 
but that probably got in the newspaper too. Yeah, so, I would think so. Yeah, the song is obviously dark. It refers to, you know, it's a school shooting and a suicide that happens in school, and clearly that's topical, and we may talk more about that. But again, Eddie Vedder's voice is just so great for it. Like, it, yeah. it just that, that getting that angst. frustration and angst. It's interesting that they couldn't really make the song work for a long time. They had mm-hmm. these ideas, but they couldn't make it work. They brought in a cellist. I don't know if you ever noticed, there's a cello playing over the outro. They brought in a cellist to record some parts. And Never it, heard that before. I'm going to have to go, go back, back and, and listen. listen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What the cello played, and I assume the cellist made up his or her own parts, not right. they weren't. Eddie said it just unlocked the rest of the song. Like they figured out all the backing vocals, they figured out some of the melodies, and the song came together. Cool. Just an interesting side note they made a video for it because MTV wouldn't show, had rules against graphic violence, the video was edited in such a way that it was confusing and people thought that Jeremy shot his classmates not himself Right. and Pearl Jam was frustrated by the fact that their video was misinterpreted and they stopped making videos for about 8 years Because yeah. and this is a thing I run across all the time people who see a video of a song versus people who hear a song have a completely different conception of what the song is about and what it means yeah, because so. the video influences you. Absolutely. And yeah. I always think you shouldn't watch a video until you've seen, you know, heard the song enough times. So, Jeremy by Pearl Jam. My number four, and this uh, this is going back to the intro, is Run to the Hills by Iron Maiden. Love that one. Yeah. It's on Number of the Beast from 1982. Wish I thought of that one. Dave Murray is one of the guitar players, and Nico McBrain, obviously, is the drummer. I, now, now I know. <laughs> now, I don't think Nico was the drummer on this record. I think he came in on the next one in 1983. So don't harass me by saying that Nico Nico wasn't on Number of the Beast. Boy, yeah. This song documents the colonization and theft of lands of Native Americans by Europeans and Americans. And it's written, oddly enough, from both perspectives, the Native Americans and their white aggressors. The opening verse is from the perspective of Native Americans, describing the aggressors as those who came across the sea, bringing them pain and misery. Now, the second verse is written from the perspective of a soldier who sees the Native Americans as less than human when saying, chasing the redskins back to their holes. And the third verse condemns the expansionist actions against the Native Americans by pointing out the American stance that the only good engines are tame. The art on the cover of the single is Eddie, the cartoon character that is the mascot of Iron Maiden, who shows up in multiple iterations, fighting the devil with a hatchet, Hmm. which symbolizes the subject of the song. The song is credited to Steve Harris, the bassist who writes most of the songs for the band. But Bruce Dickinson, who had just joined Iron Maiden in 1982, had a hand in the song. However, he couldn't take credit due to a contract issue with his old band, Samson. Wow. So Dickinson had, has said in interviews that the rising sixth interval within a scale that is present in parts of the song was introduced because he had seen a documentary on My Way by Frank Sinatra that explained that the rising sixth interval used in My Way was the reason why that song became so popular. So Bruce Dickinson was like, why don't we do that? And I think that Run to the Hills is, I think it's their best-selling single, at least, ever. Great song. And it's probably their most popular song. And for what it's worth, that's a fairly rare interval. There aren't too many examples of it. It's hard to find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number four is Run to the Hills by Iron Maiden. All right. 
Okay. Are you number four or number I'm three? I'm on number four now. All right. My number four is Ohio by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. On my honorable mention list. Okay, fair. Not an overlap. No. Uh, okay, so in 1970, May 4th, 1970, the Ohio National Guard was called out to control a protest, a student protest at Kent State University, and the guardsmen ended up opening fire and killing four students, wounding, right. I think, nine others. Neil Young saw pictures of this in Life magazine a couple weeks later. I don't know if, what the right word is. He was deeply moved. moved, but you know whether he was enraged or saddened, whatever. He was with David Crosby. Crosby describes Neil going off into the woods, uh-huh. coming back an hour later with the song finished. Yeah. Crosby got on the phone, called Nash and Stills, yeah. said, you got to come in the studio right now. They recorded the song the same day. They recorded a B-side written by Stills, which is Find the Cost of Freedom, which has to do with the sacrifice of the people who were killed or, or wounded. Right. And... Ten days later, it was released as a single. And they had a single out, Teach Your Children. So they were going to damage the commercial potential of their own single, but they didn't care. And this was, so this is is an incredibly fast turnaround from May 4th. uh, It was recorded on May 21st, released 10 days later. So the event was May 4th. The song was out on radio stations by the end of the month. You can hear the rage coming through. You can hear the frustration, both in the electric guitar riff, which is brilliant by Neil Young, and in the outro, if you listen to the, the original recording, you hear David Crosby shouting at four, why, how many more, like in this really pained voice. Yeah. Um, another thing, there's an interesting line in it. Neil Young used Nixon's name, President Nixon's name. Right. Uh, he says, ten, 10 soldiers and Nixon's coming. We're finally on our own. That was considered extremely risky thing, a risky thing to do. The, st- the song was, in fact, banned on a lot of radio stations right. because of it. There's a line which is, how can you run when you know? Which sounds like it's a, a line about the protesters, or, but it's it, it could have been referring to Nixon. How can you run for office when right. you know that you are responsible for this atrocity? Right. Um, this kind of made CSNY counterculture heroes. They yeah. became standard bearers for the 70s. This was in 1970. So The Guardian in 2010 called this the greatest protest record ever. One interesting thing is it's really difficult to find the original recording. You have to go to YouTube. Or you have to have the CD. Because Neil Young is such a punk about sound quality, he won't let songs that he wrote <laughs> right. be on Spotify or streaming services. So you can find the, or except for his own, which I right. forget what it's called, but the one he owns. So you can find the Stephen Stills B-side, but you can't find Ohio. You can find live versions and other things, but you can't find the, uh, the original recorded Ohio on streaming. If you buy it on, I think the name of the record is So Far by Crosby, yeah, Stills, Nash & Young. Yeah, it was a compilation. It's on it, that. It's on that compilation. That's how you on, can get but can, to it. Can you stream it, though? Because sometimes the Spotify tracks know. are grayed out. I haven't looked to see if you could stream I it. I think there's no almost no Neil Young except for live on Spotify. Yeah. 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 My number three is Manhattan Project by Rush. Wow. It was on Power Windows from 1985. Wow. Deep cut, but a great song. Well, I remember the album. I don't remember the song. So the song is about J. Robert Oppenheimer and the rest of the scientists who created the first nuclear bomb and the way that that changed the course of history when it was dropped on Hiroshima in August of 1945. The music is classic Rush. It's stellar parts from all three of the musicians. The first four verses of the song cover four separate parts of the history of the atomic bomb. The first verse is about the time near the end of World War II. The second verse is about a man, J. Robert Oppenheimer, the man who created the bomb along with a group of other scientists. The third verse is about a place, the Los Alamos, New Mexico facility where the first bomb was developed. And the fourth verse is about the pilot of the bomber, the Enola Gay, that dropped the first bomb. 
those are the verses, but I think the lyrics and the chorus are the commentary on what was unleashed. Big Bang took and shook the world, shot down the rising sun. The end was begun and it hit everyone when the chain reaction was done. The big shots try to hold it back. The fools try to wish it away. The hopeful depend on a world without end, whatever the hopeless may say. The album version of this song is a great tune, but I think that the best version is the live one on their record called A Show of Hands. All the musical parts, guitar, drums, and bass, are better filled out, and Getty's vocals are so much stronger on that version. If you're going to listen to this song, go pull up the one from A Show of Hands. You won't be disappointed. So that's my number three. You ready for mine? Yeah. What's right. triple on your list? This one is uh, this one was kind of a weird one from 1998. We're going back to Texas, by the way, for this one. Um, this Man, is you've got a theme going. Well, we got three. This is three Texas songs now out of uh, how many we've done. So you have <laughs> to answer. five, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, well, no, two of mine, one a year so far. Yeah. This is one I didn't know was about a real event until I looked into it a little bit. And it's The Way by Fastball. It's a one yeah. wonder from the 80s or possibly early 90s. I, I think, think it's, it's early 90s. Could be, oh, no, it's 1998. Sorry, I have yeah. it written down here. 1998. Late 90s. It's kind of a really cool song. First of all, it's very upbeat. It's very yeah. uh, catchy, danceable, major key. Here are the lyrics in the chorus. Anyone can see the road that they walk on is paved in gold, and it's always summer. They'll never get old. They'll never get hungry. They'll never get old and gray. You can see their shadows wandering off somewhere. They won't make it home, but they really don't care. They wanted the highway. They're happier there today. Yeah. And it describes basically this couple who just decides to screw it. Let's drop everything and go. Right. And their kids wake up and they're not in the house. They don't know where they are. And I just, I never assumed this was based on a real event. I just thought it was, what an interesting message. What an interesting song. Um, and again, it's so upbeat. Of course, the event that it's based on is rather sad. Yes. Um, you know, so you must know. Yeah. So uh, this is comes from 1997 when uh, Leela and Raymond Howard of Salado, Texas. Salado. Uh, Salado, excuse me. I was going to no ask worries. you if you know where it is. But yep. they tried to go or intended to go to a Pioneer Day Festival in Temple, Texas. Right. Uh, okay. I don't, yeah. Temples in Central Texas. Yeah. yeah. And Raymond had just had brain surgery, so he couldn't right. drive. So Leela drove, and she had Alzheimer's. Yeah. They disappeared. Their car was found about two weeks later, 350 miles away from where they planned to go. Right. Uh, they were both dead in the car. Right. And it's a very sad and poignant event. Yes. Fastball took it and gave it a different meaning. Uh, I almost think in a way that's kind of a nice tribute to these people. But I really don't know what the what the process was that, you know, wh- how fastball. I think they were inspired by the story and it said something else to them. But this whole idea of, you know, we're, these poor we folks go. that we're, drove out, got lost and. Yeah, but 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 instead of making it into a sad thing, it's like this is life. You you move, you go on. The authorities think that Leela was trying to go back to a place she used to go on vacation as a child in Arkansas, and that's why they ended up. Uh, But nobody really knows. Yeah, happy song about a sad event, which you find sometimes. That's true. The way by Fastball. My your number penultimate on the list. My number two. Is Sunday Bloody Sunday by U2. I had a feeling. Off of War <laughs> from 1983. Some people say it's a protest song, but we'll talk about that here in a minute. It references Bloody Sunday, which was an incident on the 30th of January in 1972 when British soldiers shot 26 unarmed citizens, killing 14 of them, who were protesting in Derry, Northern Ireland. But that's not the meaning of the song. Larry Mullen said this about the song in 1983 the year it came out. We're into the politics of people. We're not into politics. 
Like you talk about Northern Ireland, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, people sort of think, oh, that time when 13 Catholics were shot by British soldiers. That's not what the song is about. That's an incident, the most famous incident in Northern Ireland. And it's the strongest way of saying, how long? How long do we have to put up with this? I don't care who's who, Catholics, Protestants, whatever. You know people are dying every single day through bitterness and hate, and we're saying, why? What's the point? And you can move that into places like El Salvador and other similar situations, people dying. Let's forget the politics. Let's stop shooting each other and sit around the table and talk about it. There are a lot of bands taking sides saying politics is crap, etc. Well, so what? The real battle is people dying. That's the real battle. Strong words from their drummer. Bono, in an interview in 2016, says that the lyrics to Sunday Bloody Sunday have one original thought in them contrasting the Easter Sunday rising of Ireland in revolt against England and Bloody Sunday with the resurrection on Easter Sunday. He also said it's very misunderstood, which is why he says at the beginning of the live version on Under a Blood Red Sky, this song is not a rebel song. This song is Sunday Bloody Sunday. But the song ends with these words, the real battle yet begun to claim the victory Jesus won on Sunday, Bloody Sunday. And that's where the reality of that song is. Now, the music itself is based around the drum beat that is the song's hook. But that drum beat almost didn't happen to end up on the record like it did. During the recording, producer Steve Lillywhite wanted Larry Mullen Jr. to use a click track, and Larry just flatly refused. But after a chance meeting with Andy Newmark, the drummer of Sly and the Family Stone, who used a click track religiously from recording, trust that guy. Larry Mullen changed his mind and used the click. And that's how we got the steady marching pulse beat of Sunday Bloody Sunday. Interesting. Yeah. Nice. Good one. So end that on an up note. Yeah. All right. So you're number two. Okay, my number two. Actually, it mentions Steve Lillywhite also. Really? Shockingly enough, yeah. Good uh, my, producers get around. <laughs> yeah, they do. My number two is Biko by Peter Gabriel. Ding, ding, oh, ding, ding, ding. See, we did have one. That's my over. number one. <laughs> okay. The push was correct. All right, you want uh, me to talk about it? You, you go. To... You talk about it, and then I'll fill in. I'll if mow you, your lawn, if, and yeah. you, you clean up the edges. There you go. Okay, so uh, Biko from 1980, from Peter Gabriel's, one of many self-titled albums without a real title. is um, but The one that's known as Melt because of the picture <laughs> on the front of the, of the album. Right. It describes in almost journalistic detail the death yeah. of anti-apartheid activist Bob to Stephen Biko. Mm-hmm. He was arrested in South Africa and beaten and died. Peter Gabriel described this as his political awakening. Peter Gabriel said, it's a white, middle-class, ex-public schoolboy, domesticated English person observing his own reactions from afar. It seemed impossible to me that the South Africans had let him be killed when there had been so much international publicity about his imprisonment. He was very intelligent, well-reasoned, and not full of hate. It was a calling card announcing I was interested and prepared to get involved. So this actually was a hugely influential song, not just musically, which I'll get to in a second, but anti-apartheid activism was a mainstay of 80s pop. This song was hugely influential on Bono. It was yeah, hugely... this, this was the one that started the whole bit of Artists Against Apartheid. Right, Little Steven. And, yeah. Yeah, a Little Steven who, uh, I can't remember the name of the festival in 85. But Sun City. There, Sun City, thank you. You found Peter Gabriel's fingerprints all over 80s pop. 
in political yeah. activism, and particularly anti-apartheid activism. Musically, it's interesting. It's a combination of a pseudo-African beat. It's not a real African beat, but right. something that Peter Gabriel just felt sounded African. It was actually played on a Brazilian two-toned drum called a surdo, mm-hmm. played by... Manu Kachi. Played by Phil Collins, of Oh, course. Phil Collins. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Bagpipes, which were synthesized, which represented right. a fusion of Euro- the European colonialism. Also, Peter, I found a note somewhere, Peter Gabriel found out that bagpipes actually came from uh, an Asian traditional instrument. So he was putting another exotic musical feel in there. But yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, he also included both South African folk songs, so, some of which were actually recorded at Biko's funeral. Right. And he also, and I'm going to try to pronounce this word, the, 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 la- the name of the language that he sings in. You want to try it? I think Osa. it's Josa. It is, it's a click language. It's a, so it's Osa. Okay. I can't, I'm not doing it well. If you want to know how to do it, you can uh, go on YouTube and watch Trevor Noah because his mother spoke Osa. I'm not saying it well. Cool. But yeah, a lot of the lyrics that Peter Gabriel sing are actually in that language. Mm-hmm. And so it gives it an authentically South African feel to a non-South African listener. I don't think it sounds too authentic to an actual South African listener. But right. it didn't matter because, of course, the song was banned in South Africa. <laughs> it right. was not on the radio there. Again, hugely influential. We talked about politically, but also music. Basically, Paul Simon identified being very influenced by this. And, of course, later on, he went to record uh, Graceland with Ladysmith Black Mombazo. Right. He loved the South African rhythms and, and melodies and, and harmonies. Peter Gabriel later recorded Passion, which is the soundtrack to The Last Temptation of, the Christ, of Christ. Right. With these amazing same, – same thing. He took a lot of these rhythms that uh, he was exploring. Since uh, you mentioned Steve Lillywhite, it's really cool. The last chorus for the last chorus of the song that got everybody in the studio from the musicians to the technicians to the cooks and the producers including Steve Lillywhite and Hugh Padham to right. sing the sing the chorus along. Anyway, that's it. It launched it launched Peter Gabriel into a a career as a musical activist, inspired lots of other activists and inspired lots of new musical tones and themes and timbers. Yeah. So, you want to you want to go yeah, right to know your um, number one and add to that? Yeah. You know, the lyrics for the verses are in English, but in the chorus, he adds the, and I'm not even going to try the click thing. I, I looked at it, it's, it's the way it's written is X H O S A, and I'm yeah. guessing the X is for the click. The click, I guess. I guess. Um, so the phrase that he sings is Yila Moja, which translated loosely comes out to come spirit. And then he sings, The man is dead. The man is dead. And the phrase has been interpreted as, even though Biko was dead, his spirit was still alive and part of the movement. And the lyrics of the third verse are just powerful. You can blow out a candle, but you can't blow out a fire. Once the flames begin to catch, the wind will blow it higher, suggesting that Biko's death would light the fire in the anti-apartheid movement and that the movement would only go stronger, which it did. Now, you brought up the two songs. Uh, the folk songs. The folk songs. The, the first song, song yeah. the, the, that starts the recording, on the album version, the songs that, that bookend Peter Gabriel's Biko were both sung at Biko's funeral. And the starting song is, and I hope I don't butcher this, Nagamla Sibuyayo, which means on the day we arrive. And then... On the album version, the song ends with a recording of the South African song Sinzini Na, which was recorded at Biko's funeral, which is a struggle song that has the same stature in South Africa as We Shall Overcome does with the anti-racist movement of the African Americans in the United States. 
but the seven and 12 inch single versions mm-hmm. end instead with Nkozi Sikelel Africa, which is a song which later became South Africa's national anthem. Powerful song, man. No matter how many times I listen to it, it yeah. always just punches me right in the chest. Yeah. It's and a that's great song. That's why it's my number yeah. one. Just a slight footnote is the language, I'll try it one more time. Osa. Okay. Is spoken by very few South Africans, fewer than ten percent. There's okay. eleven South Africa has eleven national languages. I just learned this looking this up. Yeah. Another reason why our experience as as listeners not from South Africa may be different from the experience of someone who is from South Africa and maybe lived through these events. Right. Ready All for right. my number one? What's your number one? Okay, this is pretty. This is a pretty easy one for me. First song I thought of. It stayed in the list the whole time and stayed at my number one. It's I don't like Mondays by Boomtown Rats. Yeah. And a couple episodes ago, we asked the question: Can it be rock and roll without guitar? Here's a song with only piano and strings. There's no drums. There's no bass. There's no guitar. Yeah. And I don't like Mondays is Boomtown Rats' most commercially successful song, but Bob Geldof, who everybody knows from Live Aid and everything right. else, yeah. thought it wasn't even worth releasing as more than a B-side, if at all, just a deep cut. His label said, no, 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 this is a hit. And he's like, you guys are nuts. There's no way this is a hit. <laughs> Turned out to be their, their most commercially successful song. They were song. right. It was released in 1979. It is about a school shooting in 1979 at Grover Cleveland Elementary School in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, a 16-year-old girl named Brenda Ann Spencer, who didn't go to the school but lived across the street. Her story is horrible, like the, the yeah. very sad. I won't go into it, but she took a rifle, basically during the, the time when the kids were coming into school, shot at the crowd, killed the principal and a custodian, and injured nine children. Miraculously, none of those didn't, children died. Yeah. Then she barricaded herself in her house, and the I guess it was the San Diego Tribune called the house, and she gave an interview, and they said, why did you do it? She said, I don't like Mondays. Oh. And this livens up the day. Now, clearly, she was a very disturbed yes, person. Very um, so. The first line refers to the telex machine is kept so clean. Bob Geldof found out about this when he was doing a radio interview in Atlanta, and there was a telex machine next to where he was sitting, and he describes the paper is coming out with this news, right. and he's reading it as he's doing this interview, yeah. and he was just immediately gripped by it. And he had just been invited by Steve Jobs to perform at Apple, which is where he got this idea of the meta- metaphor of basically the human machine gone wrong. The silicon chip inside her head right, yeah. was switched to overload, basically saying this person is a defective machine, which is kind of a powerful imagery. There's a lot of language in the song that is pretty clear what it's about. Well, there's a lot of language. I won't go. I won't do too many lyrics, but he can see the end of each verse is, and he can see no reasons because there are no reasons. What reason do you need to die? And there's yeah. a different. There's a different last line for each one, but the same structure. He said it was the perfect senseless act, and this was the perfect senseless reason for doing it. So perhaps I wrote the perfect senseless song to illustrate it. So wow, uh, yeah. He later said he regretted making Brenda Ann Spencer famous because she became famous as a result of this, and it was the last song that Boomtown Rats ever played live at Live Aid. Oh, wow. That I didn't know. All right, man. Honorable Honorable mentions. mentions. I'm going to roll through a few few. of these. You go first. I could have done half my list with Iron Maiden (laughs) because they have the great song called The Trooper, which is about the charge of the light brigade. Mm -hmm. Amazing song called Ace is High that I absolutely love. It's about the Battle of Britain. And when they play it live, they usually lead into it with Winston Churchill's speech about, we will fight on the beaches. We will defend our island. I'm not even doing it justice. Where's my brandy? Sorry. (laughs) I could have done this with three or four songs from Rush. 
Countdown is one of my favorite Rush songs. It's on Signals. It's an offcut that most people don't know. What's it about? The space shuttle launch. Ah, sure, they went right. down. Yeah, and, you talked about and, this in a previous and episode. They, right? they watched the space shuttle right, right, launch. Right, right, right. Red Sector A is a first person of account of being a Holocaust survivor in a concentration camp. And it's loosely based on Getty's mother's experience as a concentration camp survivor. I could have thrown in another U2 song, Pride in the Name of Love, about Martin Luther King Jr.'s that assassination. That was on my list. Another Peter Gabriel song, Family Snapshot. Again, a first-person view of Lee Harvey Oswald during <laughs> the assassination of John F. Kennedy. I don't know that one. I had Ohio by CSNY that you went through. And there's a song called 19 by Paul Hardcastle, oh, yeah. which is all about the Vietnam War with yeah. a bunch of clips from documentaries about the mm-hmm. Vietnam War. Here's one that most people don't know, Remembrance Day by Brian Adams. It's about World War One, And then the one I kept off the list because I'd already used it on our Long Songs episode, which is an amazing one, is Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald by Gordon yeah, Lightfoot. Yeah, I, I, I knew you were going to include that one somewhere. as an Yeah, I love that else. song. Yeah. Great tune. All right, what are yours? All right, well, I only had two that I seriously considered putting in the top five and didn't. Um, the first one is Alice's Restaurant Massacre by Arlo Guthrie, yes. his only real hit. And it's an 18-minute long song. Uh, the bet the live version is the best version, and it's hilarious. In fact, the live version may be the only version. I think um, so, yeah. It's about his you know misdemeanor arrest for littering, but it turns into a <laughs> Vietnam protest song. It's hilarious. It's a Thanksgiving tradition in a lot of homes. Yeah. And it probably was in the newspaper, the misdemeanor. You know, this, these kids were arrested for littering. Uh, if, you have, <laughs> if you don't know Alice's Restaurant Massacre, Please go listen, especially on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, the other one I considered is What's the Frequency Kenneth by R.E.M. Yeah. Which, if you lived through this time, this happened in 1986, you remember Dan Rather, who was the anchor of CBS News at the time, yep. was accosted by two men in Central Park and beaten, and they kept saying, what's the frequency, Kenneth? They clearly mistook him from, for some spy, yeah. and he <laughs> then he went on the news and reported about it, but this actual song doesn't have anything to do with the event, just the title, right. So and the yeah. repeated line in the chorus. So, three I'd already used. A Day in the Life by the Beatles, uh, which t- he blew his mind out in a car, didn't notice that the light has changed. It actually is an adaptation of the story of the death of Tara Brown, who was 21 years old and heir to the Guinness fortune and a friend of the Beatles, turned them yeah. on to LSD, actually, had a car accident and died. Bring on the Night by the Police, you mentioned Gary Gilmore, right. so that's he, that's his story. And the band played Waltzing Matilda, which, as I said, is a fictionalized account of a soldier at Gallipoli in World War One. Right. Since we're talking about Gallipoli, I have to squeeze her in somewhere. I'm a big pj harvey fan but i can never find the right song to put on the right list so <laughs> all and everyone is in by pj harvey is another account about Gall- of gallipoli um okay. you mentioned you too i had three songs on my honorable mention list pride in the name of love right. sunday bloody sunday and new year's day which is less about a specific event more about the solidarity movement in right. poland i had hurricane by bob dylan which oh is about how the, did i miss yeah, that one yeah uh, the wrongful conviction of hurricane oh man i forget carter hurricane carter right a boxer, boxer in yeah wrongfully convicted of a crime he didn't commit and finally many 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 decades later released right i uh, also had american skin 41 shots by bruce springsteen which tells yeah. the story of amadou diallo who was an immigrant from i think senegal okay. in new york city who was killed by new york city police a couple of musical ones i had smoke on the water by deep purple which describes yeah. the fire at the mobile studio at the montreux jazz fest in switzerland that's right uh, or at least that's how it starts and american pie of course by Don McLean. Well, which yeah, is musical history. About- musical history. But it's not just one event. And I yeah. just shot John Lennon by the Cranberries, which is a good song, but did not make my top five. 
Got True Crime all over rock and roll. Nebraska by Bruce Springsteen is about a real crime spree yeah. by two serial killers. Smooth Criminal by Michael Jackson is reputed to be about the Night Stalker, another famous serial oh, killer. Oh, really? Reputed to be. A couple of personal ones. Uh, Layla by Derek and the Dominoes yes. describes Eric Clapton's struggle with his feelings for, uh, at the time, George Harrison's wife, later Eric Clapton's wife. Right. And they stayed friends. <laughs> and Hey Jude by uh, the yes. Beatles, obviously, describes Paul McCartney consoling... John Lennon's son, Julian, after John basically abandoned him and his mother to be with Yoko. Right. A couple of those general ones I mentioned, too general for me to include, were Zombie by the Cranberries, an anti-war anthem. Right. And Uprising by Muse, which was inspired by the Occupy movement, which was worldwide and Wall Street and in lots of other places in Europe. Mississippi Goddamn by Nina Simone. Yeah. These were these were all too general. Winds of Change by Scorpions about the the, the Iron Curtain, and the and I, I have to mention this song. I'm known for hating the song "Sweet Home Alabama" by Leonard Skinner, and I still hate it. But it, <laughs> I got to admit, it's a good song in a lot of ways, and it's really interesting in terms of its perspective and its use of specific historical references in right. the song. I won't go into it because it's an honorable mention. And finally, you mentioned "We Don't Start the F- Didn't Start the Fire" by Billy Joel. Not only did it not meet my criteria, but I also it's the one Billy Joel song I really can't stand. So. Ah. Yeah, I can understand that. If you want to listen to the songs that we mentioned on this podcast in their entirety, check out the Spotify playlist that we've got in the show notes to hear them all. All right, Rockers, we're back, and we got a new segment. We actually came up with a new idea. New segment day! Woo! It's called Read My Mind. We wrote a question, and then we each wrote our answers to the question, and we sealed them in an envelope and put them in a mayonnaise jar on the back porch of Rock U, where they've been festering for the last (laughs) week along with the trash. We had to save them from the trash guys that actually came to pick up the trash. The question is, if you could take a music lesson from anyone, living or dead, who would it be and why? I wrote Just down to, what yeah, I right. thought Matt's right. answer would be, and Matt wrote down what he thought my answer would be. And we're going to open these and read them and see if we're right. All right. So we're going to open them first, or are we going to answer them and then open and see if we were right? Oh, I thought I was supposed to seal your the, what I thought your answer right. was. But am I going to give the answer and then you open it and see if I see if you're right? I mean, no, no, no. I'm going to open it up and read it, oh, and then okay, you're going to okay. tell me fair if enough, I'm right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. All right. So I guess I'm going to go first. So it means right. when you say you're going to go first, you mean you're going to guess my answer? first? I'm going to guess your answer first, okay. and then you're going to tell me whether okay. I'm right or wrong. All right. All right. Where, let's get the mayonnaise jars open. All right, here we go. I wrote down two things. Okay, I'll give you two guesses. If I the don't person's think you're dead, it's <laughs> if the if the person's dead, it's Randy Rhodes because he always took a lesson whenever he went on tour. Oh, I like that answer. And I think that you would want to have access to his encyclopedic knowledge of guitar lessons. But if the person was live, I'm going to have to go with Sir Paul McCartney so that he could teach you about how he and John Lennon came up with all the songs that you geek out about on this podcast. Both good guesses, very respectable prognostications. Uh, I'm sorry, though. Seth, I don't know okay. what our sound effect is going to be. My answer is wah, not. Is wah, neither. Wah, I missed. <laughs> neither okay. Randy Rhodes. I nor swung twice Paul. and missed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my answer w- should surprise you, and one of the reasons why is it's an instrument I don't really play, and I don't really want to talk about how to play the instrument. My answer is bassist Victor Wooten 
I don't know if you're familiar. What? I don't know if you're familiar with Victor <laughs> Wooten. He's a he's a very well regarded jazz and funk bassist, mostly funk actually. Yeah, soul more, more than more than jazz. I assume he's a jazz bassist too, because all good musicians play jazz. But and anyway, Victor Wooten has a brilliant. He's he's one of the most interesting thinkers in music today, mm-hmm. um, and he has a, a an absolutely brilliant perspective on how to learn music. When Rock You got started. There were a lot of things we did because I kind of felt this is the way we should do them, but I couldn't have articulated very well why. And about two, three years ago, I stumbled across Victor Wooten's TED Talk called Music as a Language, in which he says things like, music should be learned from playing, not from practicing. Mistakes should be encouraged, not discouraged. There is no such thing as a wrong note. Beginners should be able to jam with musicians just the way babies can talk to adults. If you take a baby and you say uh, you're not allowed to talk to anyone who's not also a baby until you can read and write the language, nobody would ever learn to talk. (laughs) And he's got a a shorter version of this that I think is more powerful. It's a five-minute long video called Music as a Language. He's just a brilliant thinker, and I would just love to pick his brain about music. Sit down with him for an hour, buy him a drink, and hear what he had to say. Rather than trying to summarize it, I'll just let the video speak for itself, so I'll put the link in the show notes. Bassist Victor Wooten, brilliant guy, great thinker, great musician. How was I supposed to guess that? There was no way you could, and I knew you wouldn't. <laughs> but it was not a hard choice for me. All right. You ready for me? I'm ready for okay. you to I, I have a higher, a higher level of confidence that I've guessed correctly. I'm not saying that I definitely have, but let okay. me open my envelope and I'll read you the name. Okay. Drummer Neil Peart of Rush. Kind of an easy one. <laughs> but where's the why? Yeah. Well, because, okay, because first of all, you've mentioned many times that you wish you could play those songs. Yes. You, you and I have both expressed admiration for the fact that Neil Peart invented these parts and then still struggled to play them and appreciated the fact that they were hard. Yeah. And I assume you'd want to... Also, he wrote all the lyrics, pretty much, for Rush, uh, Rush's yeah. songs. Yeah, he did. And I assume you would want to know how he came up with these fills and grooves, how he played them, uh, what you could learn to do if you ever got invited to uh, be a member of Hush, the <laughs> the, the, the reincarnation the of Rush with you on drums. Yeah. Is there really, do I need more of a why than that? No. This is your favorite drummer, no, right? But I'll, yeah. I'll give you an extra why. Give me an extra why. At one point in his career, Neil decided that he needed to break down everything that he did about playing drums. And he went and studied with this guy named Freddie Gruber. There are a couple of videos on YouTube with Neil and Freddie. They kind of discuss the way that Freddie adjusted Neil's playing to more of being like dancing with the rhythm. Mm -hmm. And I totally would want to learn about that. If I couldn't, if I couldn't, if, if this was just pick somebody who's live that you could take a lesson from, I'd have to say Freddie Gruber. Interesting. And say, I want to go learn that. If you took Neil and Freddie out of the equation, I'd probably say Larnell Lewis would be my, my third person. But Who's yeah. that? Larnell Lewis is the one of the drummers for Snarky Puppy. Ah, who's yeah. Who's just awesome. Awesome. absolutely amazing Canadian, another Canadian drummer. Who went to UNT probably. Uh, I don't think he oh, did. Okay. I think he got pulled into the band after the the okay. core group of guys graduated from UNT. We'll yeah. have to ask Rory Quinn about that. Rory knows, yeah. <laughs> All those Canadian drummers know everything about other Canadian drummers. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Seth and I have a favor to ask. If you are enjoying Extra Credit, the Rock You podcast, please do us a solid and go ahead and share it with friends. Also, if you rate and review it on whatever podcasting platform you listen, it will get to other people and that'd be good. We want more people to hear about the stuff that we think is so cool. So share, rate, review, and thank you. All right, Rockers, we're back. And it's time for 60 seconds of opining insanity. It's the one-minute matchup. What's our question today? Our question today is, which matters more, music or lyrics? Music or lyrics. All right. Do we have the stopwatch out? We will in. We will in just a bit. So Got it. Ready. I, I had to think about this one a little bit. Did you? Or you go maybe first? I did, maybe I didn't. I'll go first. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go. You tell me when to start your clock. All right. My minute starts. Sorry, hold on, wait. Or not there. Fat thumb disease. Okay, my minute starts now. All right, I'm a lyrics guy. Lyrics are what makes a good song great. That's why I love Rush and U2. Uh, Lyrics are the first thing that I focus on. And if they're bad, they can almost make a song unlistenable. Almost. But you can have the best lyrics in the world. And if there's not a great or even a good tune underneath them, then the song's really not worth a damn like at all. So uh, it's kind of like the argument that uh, about the bad rap that all Christian artists get because most of them just don't have good music for their songs. So they get lumped into that uh, identity, I guess. But the ones that do make awesome music. And you could probably transplant some of the lyrics from the bad music songs into the good ones and they'd be worth listening to. So I'm going to have to say, sadly, that music is more important than lyrics. And that's my minute. 58 seconds. Well done. Yeah. Here's the clock. All right. Did you have a crisis of, of confidence like I did when going through that? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll, I'll, I'm I'll sure use, I'll use part sure. of my minute to explain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. Your minute starts now. Well, for a second there, I thought we were actually going to disagree, but no, obviously it's music. And I, I, my, that was my first reaction was obviously it's music. Why am we dealing with this? So I figured I would take a little bit of a more analytical approach, and I sort of did what you said. If you imagine there's four possibilities, either good music, good lyrics, that's obviously a good song. Bad music, bad lyrics, that's obviously a bad song. Right. So then you have good music, bad lyrics, and bad music, good lyrics. None of the bad music, good lyrics songs are good. Many hundreds, not maybe many thousands not just a few. Many thousands of rock songs have either ridiculous or stupid lyrics or unintelligible lyrics. I yeah. don't think I can understand a single word sung by half the artists that everybody loves. Certainly Mick Jagger, I can't understand a single Rolling Stones song. <laughs> There's plenty. I don't really care about the lyrics so much. And some, by the way, some, music, uh, some songwriters are brilliant at writing gibberish like John Lennon and Kurt Cobain. It's music all the way. If you just have lyrics, you got nothing. You got poetry. 55. Oh, sorry. That's okay. 55 seconds. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. You had me worried there for a minute, Seth. Actually, no, you had me excited. I thought we actually had a disagreement for a change. (laughs) I had to fight with that one a lot because I am such a big lyrics guy. You are. I know. I mean, Duran Duran? Come on. Those are awful lyrics. Yeah, the lyrics are awful. The problem with those lyrics isn't that they're bad. It's that you can actually understand what they're saying. If they just mumbled them, everything would be fine. (laughs) Can you understand the lyrics to any Radiohead songs? No. I mean, there's mumbling, but it's beautiful. A word will slip through right in there and it creates a mood. Yeah, like we talked about in the the big segment. Yeah. You know, the power of the words. Biko. 
Yeah. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say the same thing. Biko, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, yeah. all the rest of it. You know, but the, I can understand Sunday, Bloody Sunday. Biko, most of the lyrics are either in a language I don't speak or like not really that audible, but there's enough there. Yeah, there's the, enough there. You, you have can, a theme. By the way, and Biko is not poetry. That's prose. Like he's just, well, except the third verse, you write about that. Yeah, but that the, third verse that is first, good. That first two verses are just reportage, you know, reportage, reporting. And yeah. it's like, those aren't, he didn't write them artfully, but it's very powerful. Well, he wrote it to sound like a newspaper article, right. yeah. which is where he learned about Stephen Biko and his right. death was actually from yeah. BBC News clips. So, Proof of the side we both took. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> so was there something on this podcast that you wanted to talk to us about? <laughs> Did we get something wrong? Do you not agree with some of the stuff that we said? Then you need to email us at podcast at rock-u.fr. Extra credit, the Rock U podcast is brought to you with support from our partners at Big Pebble Records. Big Pebble Records is your one-stop shop for all music production in Paris. Everything from the composition to the creative side, to the recording and engineering, to the mixing and mastering, to the distribution and publication and publicity. Check them out at www.bigpebblerecords.com. And of course, you will hear lots of Rock U musicians on that label. Extra Credit, the Rock U podcast, is a production of Rock U. Expertly engineered and recorded by my good friend Seth Hinkley. And our theme music is written and produced by Tom Walters. Rock U is a nonprofit association, Loi 1901, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>